Let's go now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing our series on relationships, a glorious mess. And this morning, uh, we're looking at the whole concept of family. What is a family? And so let's look at Deuteronomy 6, and I'll read the first uh, nine verses. These are the, the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now flip over to Judges chapter 2. Uh, that portion of Scripture, the first, uh, really the whole book of Deuteronomy and the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were written to Israel um, as first generation Israel to prepare them to be the people of God in a pagan land. And so we, th- that was given to first generation Israel, and now we read this in Judges chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Let's pray together. Father in heaven... The evil one hates what we're about to do. And yet, O oh God, you have ordained your word to go forth. And so we pray that you will allow your word to be louder than the voice of the world. Father, we pray that your word would be more powerful than the voices of the culture. We pray, O oh God, that your word would be stronger than the experiences of our past. And you would do something in this room this morning. That, O oh God, you would give us a vision for something better. Better than maybe what we experienced. Better than maybe what we are experiencing. Father, I pray that you would show us what you have called us to. What you have equipped us for. And what you are present to walk with us toward. Father, I pray that You would raise up godly families in this congregation. And that, Father, we as Your church would be a godly family. 
that, Father, we would be a beacon of hope in this city and that we might be a spark that spreads like a wildfire throughout this city. That the fatherless would be fathered. That the motherless would be mothered. That the familyless would have a family right here in the midst of this community, downtown church. Oh God, we beg of You that You would come by Your Spirit and You would not allow us to remain as we are, but You would speak to us and change us by the power of Your Holy Gospel. And Father, You know I need strength and I know it too. God, would You speak through me? Would You uh, reach through me and in spite of me? And would You do and accomplish Your will this morning for the glory of Christ and the good of Your church and the good of this city? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, the family is broken, and that is a big deal. If you don't think it's a big deal, then then just listen to Chris's sermon from last week. Chris laid out for us in a very vulnerable and forthright way what life looks like without a father. Chris preached on father wounds and he stood right here last week and he declared that he has yet to hear from his dad that he loves him. He has yet to hear the words of his father, I am proud of you, son. And he stood here and he confessed the impact that's had on him. He confessed that it's hard for him to commit. That it's hard for him to trust. But that it's easy to build an exterior to try to protect himself. (coughs) Dear friends, the family is the most powerful institution that God has given us. And it's serious stuff. This past Wednesday night on Vance Avenue, right across from Streets Ministry, another life was taken. Guns were drawn, guns were fired, and a 19-year-old lost his life. And dear friends, I want to tell you this morning, it's because of the disintegration of the family. It's because the men in that community are leading in a wrong and bad way. It's because they're being sold, young boys are being sold into a family, into a community that says they're going to love them and protect them, but they're really just using them. They're going to give them a sense of love, but it's not going to be love at all. They're going to send them out to do their own will. They're going to send them out to make them look good, to defend, to represent, to do what has to be done to protect the family. Second Prez, the church that hired me, us, to come and to plant this church, is learning the importance of the family. Over the last few years, they have noticed, the session has noticed how uninvolved the younger generation has become. Not just the teenagers, but the young adults. That They're not showing up for worship. They're not standing in the gap. They're not leading. And so they directed their director of student ministries to to lead a committee and to lead a study in Second Pres. And I want you to listen to just an excerpt of the introduction of the study uh, results. Between 2003 and 2005, 
Researchers out of the University of North Carolina conducted the largest, most comprehensive study ever done on the religious lives of American teenagers. The purpose of the national study on youth and religion was to discover the reason that this generation was leaving the faith of their parents in such great numbers. Now listen to this. The results were surprising. Teenagers did not see themselves as leaving the faith of their parents, but rather embracing the faith of their parents. According to the research, the faith demonstrated by the elder generation and embraced by the teenagers was a moralistic, therapeutic deism. God wants you to do good and to feel good. A further surprise to the researchers was the lack of faith language or faith vocabulary among those who called themselves Christians. They didn't know their Bibles and could not articulate this faith that they were supposedly embracing. Dear friends, it doesn't matter if you're failing as a parent and you're calling children into a gang to do violent sex and drugs or if you are failing as a parent and you are calling your children into a life of of self-centeredness and materialism and covetousness and success-driven life, whichever one you are calling your children to, you are failing as a parent. Our text this morning is a sad, sad story. First generation Israel had been called out by God and been formed and fashioned by God to to be monotheistic, to love Him with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. He had revealed Himself to them. He had taken care of them for those 40 years in the desert wandering. He had fed them. He had given them water out of a rock to drink. And then when they got uh, at the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's army was crashing in on them, what did God do but tell Moses to raise his arms? How foolish. And that's what, that's what he did. And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea and they passed through. They literally passed through the Red Sea. They get to the other side and what happens? They begin to eat the, the, the incredible food. They begin to, to get comfortable and they stop teaching their children who the God of Israel is. And what happens? We see it in Judges. Another generation rises up. The next generation after Israel, first generation Israel, rises up and they don't even, not only do they not know God, they don't even know the history of God's people. And they are worshiping the idols of the world. Listen to me. If our children are worshiping the idols of the world, if this generation, the younger generation, are worshiping the idols of the world, it's not the failure of that generation, it's the failure of our generation. You see, God designed the family to be that powerful. And yet there's hope in this. (laughs) Just as the family has the power to destroy a generation, the family has the power to redeem a generation. We can be different. And that, I believe, is what God is calling us to. Now, I know some of you, we've got a lot of single people in this room, and you're already checking out, maybe. You're already saying, all right, well, let's do my to-do list for the week. I'm going to answer a few emails, check Facebook, a couple of tweets here and there. I mean, you know, this whole family thing, this is just for the parents. Well, let me destroy your morning. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Put your, put your to-do list back up. 
In Memphis, Tennessee, 60% of the children born in this county are born to single moms. In 38126, which is part of us downtown, 75 to 80 percent, and I think those uh, stats are even a little low, 75 to 80 percent in our neighborhood of children are being born to single parents. Uh, Eighty-something percent are being raised in poverty. And and what that tells me is those single parents need help. (laughs) And guess what, singles? Um, You're the help that God designed to be there. You see, singleness is not a period of time in which you can just live for yourself and enjoy being selfish. But singleness is a time that you are freed up to go parent somebody. You see, we're all called to parent. We're all called to be mothers and fathers. We are all called to go to the world and to to not just tell the world, but model to the world that our God is a God to those who don't have fathers. That God is, is a God to those who don't have mothers. And that His church is to be a family for those that don't have family. What, what was my presupposition from the very beginning is that this church could be the most powerful influence in this part of the city And that when and if it catches on, we could change the city. When the church began to grow outside of its doors, when we began to become more concerned um, about the children around us as opposed uh, opposed to the families around us, drawing them, those that can give us money and make us self sufficient financially and do something good for our reputation, when we start caring about those who don't have fathers, those who don't have mothers, those that may be a financial drain on us, this city will change. You see, it's not left up to a non-profit. And I'm not bashing non-profits. I'm bashing the church. Thank God that non-profits have risen up. Thank God that individuals said, I can't wait on my church. I've got to go out. I've got to start a ministry. I've got to do something. But the church has left them on the front line alone. We've left them alone. And it's time that we stand with them, and it's time that we become with them, and they with us, and I stand arm in arm and say, we will be the fathers. We will be the mothers. We will raise this next generation, and we will teach them who the real God is. Did you see the women in this, in this, in this video? They were glorifying the God of Israel. Why? Because somebody went and loved them. Because somebody went and said, you're not worthless. You're made in the image of God. And God sent His Son. He loved you so much. And He let Him die that He might possess you as His daughter. They're changing Sierra Leone. And dear friends, we can change Memphis. I asked Chris one day, I said, Chris, what was the difference in your life? And if you've heard... Chris opened his mouth. You've heard him talk about his mama. I mean, you know, he loves his mother. But if you've been around him longer, you've heard him talk about two men that mentored him. That that zoned in on him when he was a young boy and he didn't reject this mentoring. He accepted it. I met those two men at his seminary graduation. 
I guess it was last May or May before that. They're still in His life. They've made a difference. They've stood in the gap. The gap that His Father left, they stood in. And look at the influence. And look at, look at what God has done. I think of Katie, the girl in Africa, the 20-something-year-old girl who uh, is single, and yet she adopted 13 girls. She is changing their lives forever. Dear friends, we must be the family to the broken. So let's look at it. Let's understand what a family is. As I was thinking about this whole... I'm going to talk about parenting next week, but... I can't I can't talk about the family and parents here. I can't talk about parenting without talking about the family. We've got to know what a family is. Okay? So let's look at what a family is. A family, first of all, is the most influential learning community. God designed the family to be the most influential learning community. And let me back up a little bit. I was addressing singles a minute ago. Uh, I'm talking about mentors, mentorship. I'm talking about just getting involved in somebody's life. That's parenting. And this is what you're providing them. Uh, even a mentor relationship, for at least for believers, it, it can be the most influential learning community. All right? So let's look at it. Our staff this week uh, went to hear Barrett Jones. Uh, does anybody know who Barrett Jones is in this room? Neil, where are you, man? He is the center, he was the center for uh, Alabama, um, who just happened to win the national championship game uh, this past, whatever, January, February. Uh, he was the center. Well, he's an ECS grad. ECS is a private school here in Memphis. And uh, so there were a lot of people at this luncheon that, that knew Barrett and knew his family. Um, anyway, I didn't, but... Um, but as we, we went and, and, and we listened to Barrett and Kimmons Wilson, who's a big Memphis name and really a big, you know, universal name because of Holiday Inns, but, uh, Kimmons Wilson introduced him. And it took him about five minutes to read all of this 22 year old kid's accomplishments, all the academic accomplishments. He was a 4.0 undergrad student. He was a 4.0 graduate student. He got his master's in accounting degree while playing football, uh, and winning three national championships at Alabama. So the, the list of accolades was five minutes long, I bet. I mean, it was unbelievable. But when Barrett stood up, he thanked Mr. Wilson for making that introduction, but then he said this. He said, I didn't come here today to talk about my successes. I came here today to talk about my failures and to talk about my idols. And he began, this, this kid, I couldn't believe it. This kid starts talking about how football was an idol in his life and how God uh, saved him from it, how he broke him from it through injury and other, other means that God used. And as I listened to this kid, I was thinking, my goodness, this really is. I mean, this is a kid who loves Jesus, who is humble, and who sees that football is a means through which to bring glory to God. And I thought, man, he, this family must be good. And that's exactly what happened. He goes into, he said, let me just talk to you about my two role models in my life. The first is my dad. And he said, my dad was a successful businessman. He was making a lot of money. And yet, he gave that up. He, he came to me and said, Barrett, I, I think that God is calling me to work at your school at ECS. 
And Barrett was probably first thing he was thinking was, well, there go the family vacations, and there goes my car when I'm 16 or whatever, you know, making no money. He went and worked at his school. And Barrett said it was amazing. I got to see my dad all the time. He was at my school. He talked about the mission trips that his dad would take him on. He talked about the relationship that they had. And then he started talking about his dad's dad. He said one Christmas his grandfather gave him $100. And he was so excited, but then his grandfather said, Wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm giving you this money so that you can give it away to somebody else. I want you to see what a blessing it is to serve other people and to give it away. And he talked about the first $100 that his grandfather gave him to give away. He gave it to a waitress. He left it uh, as a tip to a waitress in a restaurant and just blew her away. After, or excuse me, Kimmins Wilson in the introduction started talking about Nick Saban, a name I don't have great uh, thoughts about when I even say it, but... uh uh, but this is a good point, so it's worth it, all right? Um, Nick Saban, it was so funny, after this lunch, somebody came up to me, uh, um, oh, I can't remember, John, uh, um, Britton Laughlin, who's an Alabama fan, she grew up in Tuscaloosa, she said, well, are you a convert yet to Alabama football? I said, no, it's going to take a whole lot more than Barrett Jones. I'm a fan of Barrett Jones, but I'm still not a fan, anyway. All right, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, Nick Saban. Uh, Nick Saban was interviewed and asked about uh, what he thought about Barrett Jones after the season. And he said this. He says, I have grown to admire this young man, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I feel like I should be more like him. That's from Nick Saban. He doesn't compliment anybody, okay? A little arrogance in that man's life, a little pride. Um, Unbelievable. Here's the point. A person like Barrett Jones doesn't just happen. You see, it's, it's, it's the grace of God, but it's also the people around him that are pouring into him. It's those who are willing to sacrifice uh, themselves for him. Therefore, friends, parenting begins with us. For the next generation to be better, we've got to be better. To produce better children, we've got to be better adults. Children will be what they make them generally. They will buy what we sell them. They're a reflection of us. Thus, we can't just blame a generation of young people who have walked away from the Lord. We've got to blame ourselves. Single friends, listen. Especially in a broken society... There are too many fatherless and motherless boys and girls. Get involved. I want to say this again. I really honestly want you to start thinking, how can I get involved in the life of a young person? Who can I mentor? Talk to us. We have children in this room that you could mentor. If we run out here, we can go to streets ministry. There are plenty of other ministries. There are opportunities for us to do this. Think about this. And keep listening. Pray, prayerfully consider mentoring a young person. Albert McGowan is a good friend of mine. He works with. He's a college minister at Jackson State in Jackson, Mississippi. And um, Albert grew up without a dad, and um, he's married with two little children, and uh, just a great guy. Well, Albert 
and I were talking one day, and he told me that on Father's Day, I mean, he's lost, he just loses count of how many texts he receives from young men and women saying, Happy Father's Day, Dad. I've talked to Chris, who spent, I think it was just a semester at a, at a school, just visiting the school, and some of those young boys were coming up to him and calling him Dad. On Father's Day, I have three or four texts outside of my children that, Happy Father's Day. And it makes me feel guilty because the first thing I think is, I really haven't done much for you. And that's really the point. (laughs) You just need to be there. You just need to give yourself. You just need to give love where there has not been love. Many of us in this room are from broken homes. Many of us in this room have deep father wounds and mother wounds. We didn't learn how to do it perfectly, but guess what? Here's the bright side. You learn what not to do. So go do something different. See, friends, we can't sit here and blame our parents for what we didn't get. God is not holding us accountable for what we didn't get. He's holding us accountable for what we're doing. He's calling us to be something and to do something better in His power and by His grace. And we can do that. Because it's not perfection, it's presence. There's some people in this room that need to get healthy for somebody else. Parents, if you hear me say anything today, I want you to hear this. Do you know the reason why you need to sacrifice your your personal time for your children? Singles, do you want to know why you need to sacrifice maybe financially or sacrifice your time or sacrifice your fun? For the children of the city. Because that's why God redeemed us. He could have just simply enjoyed, believe me, He was on an eternal vacation before us. Life was good. And yet He got involved with us. Why? Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love the world because God loves you. Love the brokenness because God loves you and you're broken. Don't give up, but keep pursuing because God keeps pursuing you. Next, we need to understand the largest influence we have on our children or those we mentor is not rooted in isolated moments of failure or success. However, they are rooted in the impact of our ultimate commitment. So what in the world are you talking about? Here it is. What I see emphasized by Christian parents today and most Christian teaching are practices. This is how to discipline your children. This is how to have a family devotion. This is how to nurture. This is how to get off of breastfeeding. and It's technique. But notice that God did not give us technique. Look what He says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. He doesn't give us practical steps on how to discipline what to do or not do as a parent or mentor, but what He does say is love God. Because what you love, they'll love. And that's both the blessing and the curse. 
You see, I see parents so often wondering why their children go off to college and they go wild. They say they've abandoned their faith. And no, let me tell you something. A child never goes to college and abandons their faith. They go to college and they abandon the faith because it was never their faith. What they learned to do was just get by and to appease the parents long enough until they got out from under their rule. Hallelujah. Let's party. Why? Because the parent didn't teach them how to love God. He probably, they probably just tried to teach them how to obey God. They gave them the law and not the gospel. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. Let's listen to me, parents. You're not doing your job by merely taking your children to church. You're not doing your job just by simply having family devotions. But the, the direction of your life, they must understand and see that the direction of your life is we love God more than anything. And we will follow Him anywhere. And we will do what He commands us to do no matter the consequences. Because we love God because He loves us. A family is a place to learn primarily how to love God. Then secondly, a family is a place to learn how to interpret life. What, what is it that we do with children? When we moved to Olive Branch um, from Memphis, our children changed schools. And our oldest daughter, Whitney, went into the fifth grade. Our middle daughter, Ashley, went into the third grade, I think. Yeah. And um, as they, uh, you know, Ashley had a pretty easy transition into her third grade year. Whitney had a horrendous transition into her fifth grade year. In fact, her whole fifth grade year was the transition because there was a group of girls. Fifth grade girls are like the devil. I mean, they are the meanest human beings on the planet. Um, they're the most insecure, unbelievable. And, I mean, I couldn't believe how these girls were treating my daughter. And there was a ringleader, and I texted Whitney this week, because for some reason I forgot her name. I said, Whitney, what was the name of that girl that, that bullied you in the fifth grade? Jacqueline. You know, she just... That just sounds like Jacqueline. Sounds like I'm like Jackal, you know. Uh, just a horrible person. And that whole year, Rachel and I just wanted to tell, I mean, everything in us wanted to tell Whitney, take her behind the school and just take care of business, you know. Uh, when the teacher's not looking, you know, that's what we wanted to do. Uh, but that's not what we did. Huge point in Whitney's life. You see, many parents would try to rescue. Many parents would step in. Nobody's going to treat my daughter. And then what happens when they get out in the world? And so for that whole year, we cried with her. We prayed with her. We encouraged her. We stood with her. We stood behind her. We, we wanted to stand in front of her the best we could. We loved her. And we pointed her to a God that loved her too. The central job that God is calling us to as parents and mentors is to help children interpret the circumstances and experiences of life, not rescue them from them. Again, it's not just reading a Bible story. It's not just taking them to church. It's helping them think through how to treat an enemy, 
how to face suffering, how to face gossip. In fact, that's Christian parenting. But what do we teach them? There are two overarching themes that I think we as parents have to teach our children. And the first is this. We must help them realize that they are not God and that life is about Him, not them. The first thing, the overriding job of a parent or a mentor is to teach that child, not algebra, to teach that child, not home ec or accounting or whatever, but is to teach that child that they are not God. But there is a God, and all of life is about Him. I was in Kroger recently, and I saw a scene that I've seen numerous times before. Um, there was a child in the, you know, the cart sitting there, and the mom was pushing. They were trying to check out, and, you know, man, those marketing folks know how to do it. I mean, they have every piece of candy on the planet right there for children to see. And that child was saying, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar, I want a candy bar. And the mom, you know, is doing all, everything she could possibly do to, to, you know, steer the child away from the candy bar and just get through the line and get out without making a scene. And then all of a sudden, you know what happened? That child, ah, you know, I want a candy bar. I mean, it was just gone. And that child wanted to, I mean, the the mom wanted to vanish, and everybody around her wanted her to vanish too with that child. You know, it's one of those situations you're like, man, yeah, just give me that child for, you know, for a minute. You know, that's how I'm thinking. And um, uh, (laughs) let me tell you something, parents. That is the most important time. Because what's happening there, it's not about the candy bar. What that child wants is not a candy bar. They want to be God. Have you seen it in a, in a child, a baby, where you feed them, you change their diaper, you put them in the bed, and then you walk away and they smile. Oh, thank you, Mommy. They just have that look. Thank you, Mommy and Daddy, for changing. No. Ah! You know, I mean, they just stiffen. They're like, you're... What they're screaming is, I am God and I have a wonderful plan for your life and it's for you to serve me. <laughs> I mean, do you see that? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, do you know that the, the, the lie and, and really the temptation that we gave into, you can be like God. Oh, we all want to be like God. And you see, we as parents have got to teach our children that they are not God because if they keep thinking that they're God, they're going to be destroyed as adults. And dear friends, we are seeing that today. We have an entire culture of young men who were told that they were God, or at least told that never told that they weren't. And they don't know how to live life. They don't know what to do with themselves. You see, they're still waiting for someone to raise, still waiting for someone to do it for them, still waiting for somebody to change the rules, still somebody waiting for somebody to come around them and make it easy. They don't know how to submit to authority because they never had authority. Because the parent didn't teach them how to respond to authority. That there was someone over you who loves you and loves you enough to say no. You see, it's not about, well, do we spank or do we do time out? It's about, do you say no and do you stand behind it? Because that's what God does for us because He loves us. Young men are struggling with anger. And, I mean, some may take up a gun and kill somebody. Some may just 
live a victim mentality, mad at God, mad at everybody else, because nobody has recognized how amazingly gifted they are. Listen to James 4, 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't. You've not learned how to depend on God. That's what James is saying. You haven't learned to wait on God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You're trying to use Him. You're trying to make Him be the parent that you had. If I scream loud enough, they'll give in. It's not love. You ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. The violence in our city can be traced to the absence of parents as well as the materialism, the indecisiveness, and the unmotivation of men who are angry. You see, James goes on to say just a few verses later, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what we're to teach our children. What do I do if I can't get what I want? What do I do if the girls hate me? What do I do? You cry out to God because God comes running to the humble. God is a God of the broken. God is a God of the humble. God is a God of those who cry out to Him, not in a demanding way, but in a needy way. Oh God, I'm hurting. We need to teach our children how to call out to God as hurting sinners, loved by Him through Christ. And then secondly, it's the job of the parent to teach their children that they are not God, but they have worth because they're loved by God. It's not enough just to discipline and say no. I don't remember what we told Whitney specifically, but I do know that what we did emphasize to her was the love of a God who made her in His image. That she had value, and her value revolved around not what fifth grade girl or that Jacqueline person, um, you know, thought about her. But she had value because she was made in the image of beauty itself. And nobody and no group of girls, nothing can take that away from her. And God loves her personally so much that He sent His own Son. And she is so beautiful in His sight that, that He's the prince that came after and was willing to die for. And He loves her. Parents want to make children feel good about themselves by getting them everything they want and seeking to shield their children from the realities of a fallen world. I've seen mentors. I've experienced this. I've mentored a young boy for um, about five years now. And at first, I wanted to be his friend. You know, I just buy you candy bars and I'm going to be the, you know, you're going, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be kind of your buddy. And then I finally realized God said, he doesn't need a buddy. <laughs> he needs a daddy. He needs somebody who's going to say no. He needs to be somebody on He needs somebody that he hates. Because he's somebody, you're, you're that somebody in his life that's going to say no, 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 because I love you and I'm not going anywhere. I'll never forget a day he walked in and he said, everybody hates me. And he was crying. And I said, I literally, I kind of looked around, I started laughing. I said, oh really, everybody? That I'm here, aren't I? Dear friends, that's all it takes. I don't know high school algebra. 
Do you know most people when they're asked to mentor, the reason they don't is because they can't do the schoolwork that high school students are doing? I can't either. <laughs> it's embarrassing. He'll have a homework problem and I, I have to go to somebody. I, I was horrible in math. I'm sorry. That's not what they need. You can get a tutor for algebra. They needed somebody to love them and somebody to be there when they're hurting and somebody just simply to say, I care enough to show up because you're that important. Sally Lloyd-Jones said this, Teach your children the Bible is not about them. It's not mainly about them and what they should be doing even. Wow. It's about God and what He has done. We can tell the story and then let the story do its work. Don't sum it up in a sentence or drill it down into a moral lesson. That will kill the story. Lessons come at you head on and leave you with your defenses up, but a story comes around the side and captures your heart. Daddy, give me a Bible verse. They're being mean to me at school. I don't have one, but I know this much. God will defend you. God loves you. God tells you to turn the other cheek and to trust Him. I wish I had an answer. Friends, that's Christian parenting. How do you be a good parent then? I see people scared to be a parent, scared to be a mentor because they're like, I don't have my life together. Well, let me just tell you something. If you wait to get your life together, you'll never be a parent nor a mentor. God is not telling you to get your life together and then. He's telling you, go and look to me along the way. And in the midst of serving, I'm going to help you get your life together. But what you're going to be teaching your children, what you're going to be teaching those that you mentor is, I don't have it together, but I know one who does. And friends, that is the most powerful message that you can give any child. Because as they face life, what they're going to be struggling with is the same thing you're struggling with. Insecurity. I don't know how to do it. I don't feel like I measure up. It's okay. You may not. But there is one that it does measure up for you. His name is Jesus. Now let's go there together. Do you understand that? That's what we're called to do. To live a life of repentance and faith before our children. To say, follow me as I follow Jesus imperfectly. But at the end of the day, we're following Jesus. Can you imagine if every child who doesn't have a father or a mother in this city was mentored and parented, let's not even talk about adopted or fostered, but just simply mentored by somebody who would give them the message through the years, I don't have it together, but I know one who does. I don't have all the answers, but I know one who does. I can't help you. I can just be here with you. And cry. Do you understand that the next generation would be radically different than the generation we now have? Why? Because God designed the family to be that powerful. And we're it. So let's go be it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You came for us. We thank You that You're more than a mentor to us. But You've adopted us as sons and daughters through Your Son, Jesus. We rejoice in You this morning. And I pray that Your grace and Your beautiful gospel would send us out. And that the city might feel Your love, see Your love, as we embrace those around us who are hurting so. God, thank You so much that You're my Father that's always there. Thank You that You have never given up. Your wisdom is sufficient. You are everything that I, I have and everything I need. 
And oh God, I pray that I might go give just somebody a taste of that, of what you are to me, for your glory and the good of the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the beauty of the gospel. A father who has adopted us as his own sons and daughters, as we bring uh, the tithes that he's commanded, but also even beyond that, the offerings that we bring. Amen.